Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 172. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Rosland Vyborg Thun. Tonight, I have a special treat for you, dear listener. Over the years, this show has included some fascinating and rare interviews you will be hard-pressed to find elsewhere. Tonight is no exception. Not only do I speak to a man who is a true aficionado of serial killer lore, but he comes from the very place tonight's topic took and takes place. And the place, dear listener, is somewhere we in the West seldom get too much information about. I am, of course, talking about the great nation of South Africa. My guest and interviewee tonight is none other than Mr. Romano Dolby. Enjoy. As always, I want to publicly thank my elite TSK Producers Club. Their names are Amy, Boo, Brenda, Cassandra, Christy, Cody, Colleen, Connor, Corbin, Craig, Sid, Emily, Fawn, James G, James H, James S, Jared, Jennifer, John, Johnny, Juliet, Caitlin, Kathy, Kevin, Christy, Kylie, Libby, Lisa, Lisbeth, Marilyn, Meow, Missy, Nick, Oakley, Operation Brownie Pockets, Reed, 
Richard, Russell, Sabina, Scortnia, Scott, Shauna, Sputnik, The Radio, Tim, Tony, Trent, Vanessa, and Val. You are the backbone of the Serial Killer podcast, and without you, there would be no show. You have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. All TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only $7.50 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don't miss out and join now. Welcome to the show, The Serial Killer Podcast. The topic of today is South African serial murder, a topic that I uh, am excited to uh, talk to you about because uh, we have had a lot of interaction uh, the last few uh, months regarding this topic. You have done quite a bit of research. Uh, I'm uh, color me impressed with uh, your work. Sent me quite a lot of a lot of data regarding possible serial killings and actual serial killings in South Africa. But um, before we get into the uh, juicy details, uh, why don't we let our dear listeners um, uh, get to know you a little bit, Mr. Dolby. Can you tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, and, uh, and how this interview came about? <clears throat> sure. Hey, Thomas. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm from South Africa, and I let's just say I'm a lawyer. I think there's a whole bunch of different abbreviations and titles around the world. There's barrister, solicitor, advocate, attorney. I think we all just get bunched together as being called lawyers. So I'll just take that title and just say I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm from South Africa, and um, I'm not a criminologist or anything for that matter. I just have a passion when it comes to serial killers and serial offenders, you know, just trying to see if there's any sort of similarities between them. Uh, I've been following a lot of them for years or a lot of patterns for years. And uh, I actually grew up living between two countries, uh, the UAE and uh, South Africa. So I've been moving back and forth. And uh, at the moment, I'm working in Dubai as a legal advisor for a company here called BNZ. And um, we do everything from corporate law to criminal law as well. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And then yeah, and on the personal front, I'm a dad, I'm a father of two, and a husband of one, and and that's it. Yeah, and you um, you listened to uh, the Serial Killer podcast and uh, reached out to me regarding um, potential South African serial killer case. 
and that got the ball rolling, as they say. And uh, what started out as, uh, hey, you know, locally here in South Africa, there's there's been a few murders that I think are serial killer cases and uh, no one's talking about them. Maybe you could do a, a segment about that. And uh, that has blossomed into quite a bit of uh, comprehensive data regarding serial killers. I have here in front of me, let's see, 27 cases. Mr. Dolby here has collected and recorded 27 cases of a of possible serial murderers. So that's not 27 kills, that's 27 possible unique serial killer cases. And each of them have quite a few kills. I mean, we have um, uh, the most the most famous one that we need to talk uh a bit detailed about is, of course, Mr. Sitol, or Shitol, as his name sounds like, with 38 confirmed kills, 76 possible. But we have unidentified cases where there are uh, 10 confirmed kills and uh, five additional and could be many more. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating list. What I would like to start to talk about before we get into the the details of the list is uh, is South Africa in general because I I've always held a fascination for uh, for Africa for a Norwegian guy living in the west as myself Africa has always we know very little about it we get very little news from Africa most of the news we get are tied to uh, local wars in Somalia and Eritrea, uh, and of course, uh, Egypt and the Middle East. Uh, South Africa was very much in the front news in the 90s with the end of apartheid. But after apartheid, I feel very much like South Africa has become uh, forgotten. There's, we never hear anything about what's going on there. And I think that's a shame because Africa is, is a huge continent and there are so many people living there. And South Africa is, uh, is a developed country, or at least it uh, used to be, and uh, shares a lot of history with the West. Controversial or not, we do share a lot of history with the British uh, colonizing it uh, a few hundred years ago and uh, apartheid and uh, the Dutch coming in. and. Um, the uh, the local Africans uh, rising up and and all that very very colorful very interesting history and um, of course what happened in South Africa affected the culture and opinions and how we viewed Africa here in the West as well in a large degree and uh, if you turn on the news nowadays you'll never hear a single story from Africa and uh, I think that's a shame so hopefully this episode will shed a, lit, a little bit of light on what, what actually occurs in South Africa regarding serial murder, which of course is my speciality. When we talk about serial killers, we tend to think that most of serial killers live in the United States of America. As we all know, that's false. There are a lot of serial killers in America, yeah, but the most prolific ones actually live in Latin America. And uh, I suspect that there are 
serial murders going on in Africa, especially South Africa, uh, that dwarfs a lot of the serial killer cases in Europe and North America. So let's talk about that. And um, let's start with a bang. Let's talk about the, uh, the serial killer superstar in South Africa, Mr. Moses Sitole. How do you pronounce his name? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, it's, it's, uh, thanks for the intro there, Thomas. That's, that's, um, that sounded very good. With, with, with this guy, his, uh, his pronunciation is Moses Sitole. And um, yeah, he's definitely one of the, I guess, as you call it, you always say the rock stars of serial killers. He's definitely up there. Uh, he was also known as the ABC killer, the South African strangler, the Gauteng killer. So he had a few different aliases and he was operating between 94 to 95, they say, which I, I, I doubt is always, I don't know if he was caught then or if he was operating then. Uh, and as you say, 38 confirmed, 76 possible. The 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 modus, so the, the way that he used to lure the victims out was the promise of jobs. You know, at this point, you're looking at a time period, as you say. Uh, I don't like, you know, diving into the whole political aspect of it. But as as jobs, jobs or job creation started to decline, some of these guys would take advantage of that and they would run with it. And uh, that's what he did, is he did that and... Then obviously the victims suffered. They were beaten, raped, and strangled. And um, the thing that I want to basically hammer on during this as well is I'm focusing on specifically Pretoria within the Gauteng district. And um, the reason being is my theory is there's an area in Pretoria called Atridgeville, which has produced more serial killers, I suspect, than I don't want to say any other part in South Africa because it's not as well studied as it would be in the U.S., or even the UK for that matter. But the part of Pretoria is called Atridgeville in Pretoria. And that's also a part of where Moses Satole operated. You know, he he operated in Atridgeville and Boxburg. So it's quite interesting with him as well. A lot of these guys seem to come from a background where what they want, they will get. You know, so if they want something from someone, they will take what they want. And I, f- I feel like a lot of these guys are following the same kind of processes. Right, and uh, for our uninitiated uh, listeners, uh, where in South Africa is Pretoria uh, located? So Pretoria is um, one of the three capitals, and it's located in a province called Gauteng. Gauteng is basically the half the size of West Virginia and the states, and then Pretoria is roughly the size of Suffolk County in Virginia. So it's just to give you some perspective as to the size. It's not a big area at all. It's it's nothing that is that we can say it's of substantial size or anything. But it, it's also where the union buildings are located, and a lot of uh, you know the officials stay there as well. So it's it's one it's my home town, in other words, as well. Pretoria, Pretoria, Pretoria city, the Pretoria area in general. I didn't quite catch it. Is it in the north, south, west, <coughs> east of the country? It's pretty centralized. Well, not centralized, but it's not on the coast itself. Um, I'll send you a map as well, so you can have a look at that if you like. Uh, it's it's more inland than on the coast. It's about eight hours drive, seven hours drive from the coast. Right. So, and uh, am I correct in uh, thinking that Pretoria is the uh, the Dutch capital of South Africa, if I can informally call it that? 
But yeah, Pretoria was uh, based on President Pretorius. So uh, that's what it's based on is the name as well. It, it is the, it's one of the three capital cities uh, in South Africa. Yeah. In South Africa, you have the British, which uh, colonized the place, but you also have the Dutch, which also had large interests in yeah, South Africa. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, there were there were different ones. So there were there was obviously the British came in as, and and the Dutch were here, and then we had the French Huguenots as well. So there's threefold people who were colonising. We had the food trackers that uh, trekked all the way to Pretoria as well. So there's this whole bunch of different nationalities at at, at the moment. I mean, South Africa's got um, I think we're up to twelve official languages, if I'm not mistaken. So it's very difficult to determine now which you know who comes from where and who owns what, which is also a lot of the disputes are arising as, as, as a result of that. So there's, there's a whole bunch of, I guess, disputes arising uh, as a result of that, not knowing who comes from where because it's been around for quite a long time. And, you know, because of the trade routes, there's always this dispute as to who was first in South Africa and who was last and who does land belong to. And it's, again, political stuff that... I guess, you know, if you wanted to flow over into decision making, it can. But, um, but yeah, uh, for me, I'm not, uh, I, I studied law, so I kind of just stick with, with that. <laughs> yeah, let's stay very well clear of politics. I, uh, I make that very clear in my podcast that politics is a no-go zone. It divides people and uh, there's, there's just no room for it. But it's just nice to put some um, context to where we are. So people can uh, can get a feel for uh, for feel of the land and um, and understand the background a little bit. So, and Pretoria was your hometown, so that's where you grew up. This will be perhaps a little bit on on the side, but you mentioned to me that you had played around as a kid in an area where they now have found bodies. Is that right? Yeah, I think uh, as a kid, you know, we grew up. I was moving back and forth between the UAE. And obviously South Africa, but in, in Pretoria, my granddad was a nature conservationist. He's retired now, but back in the day, right after he retired, we used to go into the bush and, you know, do all the things that we used to do with my cousins. And we would go and catch snakes and scorpions and just really stuff that other people don't really like that much. But it's what we did because it's how we grew up. And uh, one of the activities we used to do is go hunt for crabs in one of the local rivers there. It's called the Arpies River. It's uh, translated into the Monkeys River, basically. Yeah, unbeknownst to me that a few years later, you know, they would find a lot of bodies next to streams and rivers along that area and then the Arpies River. The Arpies River is quite big as well. You can't just say that it was located in one piece because they've got small, it's got small little tributaries and areas where you can't actually access sometimes. It's just one of those things, once again, where you look at it and you think, wow, you know, you as a kid, you actually hung out here and today you wouldn't dare, dare to go there. It's just too dangerous. The same with camping as well. It's the same kind of process. You know, you're looking into rivers and dams and lakes and things. Then there's unfortunately this trend towards violence when it comes to you trying to go camping or anything for that matter. Really? So what you're saying is that as a, as a child, you could go out and play in the bush, in the, in the, wild, in the wild areas of your, uh, your hometown, and uh, no one would bother you. But uh, if you were to do that now, you would be in grave risk of uh, being uh, robbed or worse. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are still in denial when we talk about it. And as much as I love uh, Pretoria and I miss my family and as much as I think it's, you know, it'll always be home, you, you still have that hesitation. And that's the reason why a lot of South Africans have moved away. You know, it's just, it's, it's too dangerous when you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear a sound and you have to grab your flashlight and a gun to try and see what's going on, as opposed to just sleeping through it and thinking, oh, well, everything's fine. The kids are fine. And you know, it's it's time for you to wake up. But um, again, it's some people are a little bit more in denial than others, and some people just don't have the means to move away, which is unfortunate. And other people don't want to move away. In all respect to them, you know, it's 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 at the end of the day, it's everyone's choice what they want to do. If if they feel like if they want to stay there and they feel safe, then maybe it's just me being paranoid. Who knows? <laughs> well, uh, judging from the statistics you sent me, I. Uh... I wouldn't say that you sound paranoid. Uh, I would say you sound rational. And of course, uh, I have heard a lot about South Africa when it comes to violence. Mostly, I've read about violence in uh, in Cape Town, the uh, the largest city, uh, I guess, or perhaps Johannesburg is is bigger. I wish I could tell you. Um, I haven't actually looked at that, to be honest. I know that. Obviously, at Cape Town, you've got a lot of crime. The, the crimes that are rampant would be drug-related as well. You know, I'd run into the Cape Flats. And then if you look at Paulsmoor Prison and places like that, I'm sure you've seen documentaries where they go into the gang-related, you know, crimes such as, you know, methamphetamine-related crimes and drug-related. There's one documentary where I think they talk to an inmate. I can't remember his name for the life of me, but it was also at Paulsmoor where they talk about the different gangs and the number gangs you know so yes the, the cape itself there are certain areas that can be quite dangerous and crimes are quite prevalent but i think there are also parts of the cape that is probably the safest to be in south africa so again it's those complete opposites you know it's like just complete it's like two magnets uh, plus and a minus you know right one of the things i read about this is a few years ago but um, again this was uh, a, a friend of mine had uh, studied in Cape Town uh, and he went backpacking around the area and was couch surfing. He was kind of a hippie dude. And, and he told me, and I don't know if this is, this is true or not, but uh, he told me quite, quite a fascinating thing that it's so common for cars being, when, when, when you stop for a red light in Cape Town, it, it was so common for that car to be hijacked or robbed People just running up with a gun and saying, get out of the car or give me all your money or stuff like that, that there were certain individuals who had installed flamethrowers uh, on the side <laughs> of the car. <laughs> that you that press well. the no, button just... and, uh, and you put the guy on fire. Uh, yeah, I've heard that actually. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that as well. I think we all had a friend that said that, that did that at some point. But yeah, no, the, it's, it's not just a rumor. It's actually quite, quite well known. Though, that I, I don't think I know. I think everyone I've known has been in a situation where it's either been kind of like a snatch and grab situation or actually try to hijack your car. So there's actually a hijack list of cars that are more vulnerable as well. That's released every year to say, look, these cars are more, they, they want them more than the other cars. And here's the list of which cars to avoid buying. Jesus. So when Whoa. you get to that, when you get to that point, you know, and then there are the rumors of, you know, they still, certain cars to drive them over the border to sell them there or to strip them for parts or it's 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 quite 
interesting to see and to find that you now have to purchase your car in terms of which won't be stolen or which will be stolen, which would be the least likely to be stolen. Um, so those are the things that they don't tell you. But yes, hijackings and snatch and grabs are quite prevalent in certain areas. Well, in the most of South Africa now in any way, but obviously more in certain areas than in others. The Cape, for one, definitely. Uh, Johannesburg, PE, um, Pretoria, definitely. They're, they're all up there, definitely. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, for a guy like me living in very safe and sound Norway, it just sounds insane that it would be that prevalence of 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 a, of a case and and the lists you mentioned with these are the cars that you should buy if you don't want to be hijacked <laughs> that's 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 quite that's insane i've also read that uh, personal security is something you can purchase and it's quite popular with uh, with ads and billboards and stuff with uh, you can rent like personal bodyguards and and stuff like that is 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 that still a thing or uh, well, look, if, if the bodyguards thing was a thing, I wish I had the money for that, to be honest. But uh, yeah, look, security is probably one of the most uh, popular, I guess, parts of, I don't know how to say it, industries in South Africa, I would, I guess, would be the way to go. It's, it's, it would be a multi-million, billion rand industry in South Africa, and a lot of people understand that. But at the end of the day, a lot of these companies, such, I'm not going to, give names away but a lot of the companies are actually suspected in being a part of these crimes as well so it's it's been proven as well so that's the problem is trying to find out who's trustworthy and who's not you know when someone happens to be off duty break-ins might occur and how do these guys know that the guy who's supposed to be on duty is off duty so small little things like that to take into account is the corruption of some of the the companies itself so you're looking at people to protect you and a lot of the time they don't uh, so what do you do yourself now do you get a gun do you believe in gun control do you believe in anything else do you believe in you know trying to keep your family safe but then possibly going to jail for doing so and then looking into things like the firearms control act and trying to find out what sort of gun you can you can keep legally and what the steps would be and then also understanding that they are making it a little bit more difficult as time progresses as well to try and keep everyone from keeping guns. But then at the end of the day, the criminals don't give a damn about that. They steal a lot of the guns from the police. Um, so <laughs> right. you know, the criminals yeah. don't care about the laws, you know? No, that's what's making them criminals. Yes. So as you understand, my dear listeners, uh, South Africa is a very exciting country with, um, unfortunately, uh, several places in South Africa is quite rife with serious crime. And the most serious of crimes is, of course, serial murder. So let's get back to the list that you sent me. I'd like to go through it. So uh, instead of like a typical serial killer expose, I thought we could just go through and just get a, a picture of, and remember, listener, this is from one area. This is Pretoria. So, so I mean, in the whole of South Africa, there's, there's far, far more. And, and this is also a lot of these crimes, they're quite recent. So, so yeah, keep that in mind. So number one is uh, Elias, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, Sitavudzi. 
That's X I the same way. <laughs> that's X I T A V H U D Z I. His nickname was Panga Man, which is more easy to pronounce. And uh, this is one of the older cases in the 1950s. He killed 16 men and women. So, can you tell us a little bit about him? Panga Man is basically Panga is Afrikaans for machete. So, there's not much that is known about. Well, I mean, there's a few things written about him and normal documentary parts of it, obviously. But uh, basically, murdered these individuals by machete. So, yeah, he was also, again, from that, as we say, or as you said before, Pretoria, yes, small as I said before, as it is uh, roughly the sound of Suffolk County and Virginia. But even worse than that is the area within Pretoria. And he's, again, then operating in Attridgeville. So that is the part that uh, gets to me every single time is these guys on the list, they all hail from that one little area in Pretoria, which bothers me quite, quite a bit. So if you look at Pretoria, you'll see that Pretoria Central there are different areas in Pretoria. This guy operated in the western western part of it, or the west from Pretoria Central, in that little area. And uh, if, if you're looking at the other guys as well, which you'll get to, you'll, you'll notice the same kind of trend. Is that it seems that for all intents purposes, I think what he was doing, Elias, is he was operating. If it is him, murdering a lot of white people, if I remember, if I recall correctly. So he was one of those apartheid fighters. It might be him, but it might also be the guy next on the list. I can't remember which one of the two it was. It might actually be the next guy up, but um, I doubt it because I see his uh, his victimology is a little bit different as well. So my belief is strong that uh, Elias was responsible for a lot of the murders on, on white folks. Yes, you are uh, quite correct in your assumptions. I'm uh, reading on Wikipedia here, and uh, Elias Sitehutsi, uh, he murdered 16 men and women in Atrichville in the 1950s, and he targeted only whites. So he was a black guy, and uh, he went into the strictly segregated community of whites and killed 16 people uh, with a machete. So he mutilated his victims as well. Uh, yeah, and you so know, if you think about if you think about a machete kill as well, you know, it's it's not it's nothing that's clean. It's it's it it would be something that's done out of anger as well. It's not something that's done quick and quietly and under the radar. You know, if you're doing strangulation, you, you can you can kind of detain or you can keep someone quiet to some extent. Whereas if it's a machete kill, what do you do? Do you do you stalk someone while they're sleeping? Do you do it while they're awake? It's something that's a brutal, brutal death. It's a very brutal death indeed. Uh, a machete, uh, for my listeners who for some reason might not know what it is, it's a very large knife. It's almost like a sword, but it's quite broad. Bro- it's a broad blade. It's a very simple uh, weapon, which is why it is often used in conflicts uh, all across Africa. The most famous use of machete uh, for us Westerners is, of course, Rwanda. In 1994, in the genocide there, where two million people were butchered with machetes. 
Dolby here uh, correctly told you, it is a brutal and also very painful way to die, unless you're very lucky. I mean, if you get struck, I guess, uh, very hard on top of your head with a machete, your brain will will splatter out and you'll probably die instantaneously. But uh, if most of the time machete kills, they are against your arms, your torso, your throat, your face. It's, it's, it's quite painful, and often the victims bleed out uh, from blood loss. It's extremely painful, and also it would have been very loud, as, uh, as Dolby also correctly pointed out. I mean, the victim would scream when, uh, when you're hit. So yeah, he was, um, he was tried and convicted of 16 murders. He was sentenced to death, and he was hanged yeah. on the yeah. 14th of November in 1960. So, um, so that's that's the first one. On one, one, one of the upsides, right, is before the death penalty was abolished, is uh, it was quite readily, you know, um, available back in the day, and they would apply it quite readily as well. So, I guess that's the upside of that. Obviously, losing sixteen people to one person is always a downside. Yeah, he was executed, and uh, South Africa, you guys had the death penalty for quite a long time, I think. Yeah, it was abolished. Uh, it was abolished. Um, uh, I can't remember the year now, but the matter was uh, the state versus Makwanyane, um, and uh, then they abolished it after deciding that it was inhumane. All right. So, do you know if it was the eighties or nineties or? I think it was the nineties. Right. Right. So, moving on, uh, the next on the list is Johannes Marciane. Again, uh, there will be names on this list that I am uncertain if I pronounce correctly. Uh, the last name is M-A-S-H-I-N-A-N-E, Marciane. Yeah. Beast of Atridgeville, operated uh, 1977 to 1982, up until 1989. Killed his girlfriend and 12 boys. Yeah, um, quite an interesting fellow, uh, I find. He was one of those, I think, if I recall correctly, he killed his girlfriend first. And then with the boys, it was either with strangulation or stoning. So I'm guessing it was, a, and I'm, again, I'm not a criminologist or a psychiatrist or psychologist or anything to that extent. But from the trends in the past, these guys usually experience sexual gratification in terms of the violence that they, you know, apply. So with the strangulation, the stoning, I'm guessing, especially the strangulation, because it's up close and personal, it's something that he would probably have received that. And um, what happened with him, as you can see, his nickname is the Beast of Ettridgeville. So again, the, the, the place Ettridgeville comes into play, and that's where he operated once again. And the, I see that he committed suicide in 1989 because he was running away from the police, if I recall correctly, and he ran in front of a bus by accident or under a bus um, while being chased. So, yeah, uh, doing the typical serial killer psychopathic thing and taking control and deciding that this is how it's going to go and no one else is going to decide what happens to me, you know? Yeah, it's uh, quite limited amount of information about him online but it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are correct. Yeah. He, um, he was running from the police and uh, threw himself in front of a bus, which promptly ran him over and uh, thus killed him. And uh, he uh, raped his victims. Yeah. Young boys. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. say the age of the boys. That's a bit yeah, annoying. no, it doesn't. I tried. I tried to find that as well. Um, unfortunately, uh, as you'll come to know with the rest of us as well, is the information for the known serial killers is is there, but as we move along with the unknown guys, a lot of the um, articles have been removed for some reason. I would read them years ago and then try to find the same article, and it would be non-existent. Mm. So. I don't know if back in the day, they just didn't focus. Obviously, I mean, we're looking at the dates here. It's 1977 to 82. If you're looking at criminal profiling back then in the States, even it was something that was quite limited. So the profile saying that this is a serial killer must have only come much later from the South African side, you know. So I guess the information that they have is quite limited as well. Yeah, and when it comes to serial murder and uh, publicity and the information available to the public, a lot of authoritarian states put a lid on everything regarding serial murder. The Soviet Union is a prime example, which denied that serial murder occurred in the Soviet Union all the way up until um, Citizen X was, uh, was found out thanks to one very diligent police officer. And uh, I will do a, a separate episode on him, but... But that was the official policy, that serial murder was a Western decadent phenomenon that did not occur in the Soviet Union. And I can readily imagine the authorities in South Africa actively obfuscating and limiting 
information regarding South African serial killers because they are always fascinating to most people. Uh, they always draw a lot of attention and it's always very negative and it puts the state uh, in a bad light. So uh, when you say that you read articles a while ago and now the, those articles are, are gone, that does not surprise me. That is uh, very typical when it comes to um, uh, the way uh, authorities operate, especially in uh, states where the, uh, the term free press it's not uh, exactly, uh, yeah, it's not exactly free. And I mean, uh, South Africa in the 70s and 80s, uh, apartheid, there was no free speech. Everything was strictly controlled. It's probably better today, but um, from what I'm reading, it's, uh, it's far from good. Yeah, um, you're right. I think the, the problem is as well is, I don't know if it is better today. That's the, that's the part that bothers me as these other murders that i read about were happening i think it was 2005 2006 it might have been even 2008 i can't remember for the life of me once again but these are the articles that i read and um they just seem to have just evaporated into nothing but uh it's just strange yeah it's it's and it's very unfortunate and uh when it goes on in a large scale when it's actively repressed by the the authorities we're not saying that that is definitely happening but it might be, but when that sort of thing happens, then serial killers will have even more uh, leverage and uh, and freedom to pursue their uh, deviant desires without being caught, because the public yeah. not cause a stir uh, as they would if, if 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 it was in the newspapers every day, then people would rise up and demand the authorities take action. But if the uh, newspapers aren't talking about it, then people simply don't know, and uh, they don't have to spend resources pursuing these killers. Anyway, uh, Mr. Marciani, he, um, he murdered his girlfriend and uh, raped and sodomized at least 12 young boys. He strangled them, but he also stoned them, which to me sounds very strange. I mean, it's very limited what's available online. Uh, I mean, stoning traditionally is you bury someone up to their uh, waist, uh, arms at their sides so they can't uh, shield themselves or, or dig out. And uh, from a certain distance away, you throw stones at them until they die. It's one of the most painful ways you can die. It takes a long time and uh, uh, it's, it's extremely brutal and... Um, the victim it's quite sadistic, I think. Very, very sadistic. Um, it's very sadistic. And uh, uh, so it, it makes me question whether it's actually, he actually stoned them like that or if he, he used a stone to bash their skull in, which, I mean, sounds yeah. more... Yeah, I was thinking the same because obviously those are very, very different methods of, of murder. you got strangulation on the one side, which is close and personal in your, in your personal space and invading it and feeling the life drain out of someone, which is quite close, as I say, whereas with, with stoning, as, as you describe it in the traditional sense, is from a bit of a distance. So I think stoning in this would probably involve something that does that deviates from the traditional sense of stoning, perhaps. Yeah, I suspect... Uh, and again, I'm not an expert in the case in any way, but I suspect that it's a matter of maybe um, 
things lost in translation that he used a stone to kill his victims by probably bashing their heads in. But uh, I, I, I kind of doubt that he took the time and effort to rape his victims, young boys, and then bury them and line them up and throw stones at them. It sounds very odd, especially when, he, when a lot of his other victims were strangled, which is, as you say, very up, up close and personal. Sounds strange. But uh, anyway, he used a stone to kill them. And no matter the distance, very, very brutal, very, very painful. And uh, especially considering that he raped these young boys. And if there were children, as I suspect they were, uh, that's also extremely painful. And uh, would probably cause tearing, rupturing, massive blood loss. Yeah, horrible. And uh, yeah, he killed himself, which uh, is probably a, a fate better than what he deserved. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, an apt nickname, the Beast of Atridgeville. Yeah, that's it. And then we have Moses, Sitoli, which we have uh, talked about. And then we have another one with a difficult name, Cello Abram Maponya. Yeah, no, the reason, Thomas, uh, sorry to interrupt, the reason I put Sela Abramaponya on here is because I, I find his behavior, because they say that it's still in unconfirmed deaths, I, I, I do still find his behavior one of those where if you look at, for instance, Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, and you look at that progressive behavior where there's a lot of, it, it progresses from being a peeping Tom to snatching things and breaking in and robberies, and then it progresses to, you know, rape and then it goes to murder i find it quite confronting that we have someone that was operating from 2014 to 2019 and um he was convicted of 41 rapes 40 counts of robbery with aggravating circumstances which it's just very reminiscent of the behavior of uh, joseph d'angelo once again you know is that just progressively becoming worse and worse so i put him down there because i think you know, at the end of the day, you can't say that he won't be suspected of murders or anything like that. I think he would probably be, but they don't have the evidence at this point because of, I don't know what reasons, maybe a lack of support or something like that. Exactly. Well, it's, it's uh, one of those things I'm, I'm very happy you put him on the list because then we can discuss. As you say, serial killers, they progress. That's very typical. You don't start out, well, some do, but most do not start out going and killing and then waiting a bit and then killing again and then waiting a bit and then killing again. That's not the way it progresses. They start out by being peeping toms or torturing and killing small animals as a, as a kid, maybe being bullies. They start out by being uh, criminals, maybe uh, shoplifting, simple robbery. And then uh, perhaps they progress to uh, to violent assault. They uh, they escalate to rape, maybe home invasions. Uh, Golden State Killer. He, he was he was uh, very fond of home invasions, where he uh, he entered the homes of his victims and uh, snuck up on them while they were sleeping, and demanded they perform sexual favors for him. And then sometimes he let them live, and other times he. Um, he killed them. 
again, I'm digressing, but uh, the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, he, uh, he also tortured and terrorized his victims afterwards by calling them and uh, yeah. leaving uh, ominous messages and uh, never letting them have, uh, have a peace of mind. But this uh, Maponya individual, which operated in uh, 2014 to 2019, he, uh, he is uh, luckily arrested, convicted uh, to 988 years imprisonment. That's quite a long time. Yeah. I guess you have, uh, you have actual life in prison uh, in South Africa. You don't have uh, the way we do in Norway, where it's a maximum amount and then you let go. Yeah, look, uh, I think the problem as well, once again, I sound like I'm bitching about it because, uh, and I don't want to sound like that, but, you know, there's, there's unfortunately when we're talking about the topic of, you know, people being convicted of these crimes or any other crimes and then being sentenced or detained or whatever to prison, there's a lot of the time these guys get off because the prisons are overcrowded. So I'm not saying that he would be because obviously his crimes are quite severe, but the scale indicates that a lot of the people who are sentenced to prison do get released much earlier and uh it's it's, it's not quite what we expect it to be but it is so um he would probably he would probably die in prison definitely uh but i see also with uh Moses Satoli, he got sentenced to 2410 years in pretoria cmax so hopefully you know technology doesn't catch up and they can be frozen <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's probably a good thing that uh, these men uh, do not see the light of day, uh, which is probably a good thing because they have uh, inflicted untold amounts of suffering on other people. And it, he's he's a very interesting case because, as you say, convicted of forty-one rapes and forty counts of robbery with aggravating circumstances. So that's violent robbery. And yeah, 41 no, rapes. You see, I'm not saying that he he definitely murdered someone, but as as we've seen the trend in the past before, these guys do progress. You know, it's it's just a matter of it's it's been seen time after time. I mean, even if you look at Ted Bundy, which he did an ex, excellent expose on, by the way, I followed that to the T. And then <laughs> I'm not even going to mention the others. I've listened to all of them nonstop, but. Uh, even if you look at Ted Bundy, I mean, he also broke in, if I'm not mistaken. He stole some items from various houses. And it's quite common amongst ser serial killers to do that, to break in and steal items. And then to progress to the next thing, as you said before, peeping toms and stuff. So I'm not saying that he did definitely, but I'm, I'm putting him on the list because I think he's a serial offender and he should be looked at a little bit closer. And mm. if we have the technology that the States had into looking into uh, familial DNA and ancestry and uh, ancestral DNA. I, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but in the same cases with Joe D'Angelo, you might be able to find more details about it and to the, the other crimes, which the police, in all fairness, may be investigating. Again, I'm not saying that they aren't, but I'm just putting them on the list just because I think he would be on there, definitely. Well, yeah, I think you did a good job there. And uh, especially considering that further down the list, we have several unknowns in the same area. Yeah. Uh, again, Etridgeville, and you know, it, I mean, this guy's also Etridgeville once again. Yeah, so he might be behind those. We don't know. And uh, for someone to to do that many rapes and that many robberies, that smacks of a, a serial ser serial murderer, at least in the making. 
if not in fact de facto. So yeah, it's interesting. And moving on, we have Richard Jubulani Nya Auza. Jesus, that's a difficult name. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, uh, these guys follow pretty much the same kind of trend. I see he operated a little bit earlier, so he was from the year 2002 to 2006. Also, Pretoria area, Levinite Bosch serial killer is what they call them, which is interesting since Silla Abram Aponya also operated in a Levinite Bosch. He was, uh, so the guy you, you talked about before, he was in Atridgeville, Amalodi, a Levinite Bosch, as well as Silverton, which is all Pretoria as well. But it's just interesting to see that there's a bit of a time difference between them, but they both operated in the same or similar area. And then obviously the one, we, we don't have any confirmed murders, but just saying again that general theme, general area, you know, it's it's interesting to me again. And you'll see that his sentence says that he got 16 life terms on 16 murder charges and a further 140 years imprisonment on charges of rape, robbery, and attempted murder. So that just reiterates what I said before. You know, you got a robbery, you got a rape, you got all those that is in the making of a serial killer, as you elegantly put it, you know, is these guys do do other things other than serial killing. Yeah. That's very important to remember that the vast majority of serial killers are not like Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was not a petty criminal. He, uh, as far as we know, he did not engage in, in robberies and, uh, and uh, theft and fraud and, mm. and that, that sort of thing. He sticked to sexual crimes. He, he, he was a peeping Tom, started out and like that, and then he went on to, to, to rape and battery and uh, eventually uh, murder, because that was his fantasy. That yeah. was his, his, his hidden life that he kept strictly separated from his, his normal life, which was as an upstanding citizen. But uh, Ted Bundy was an, an anomaly. Anomaly, anomaly, yeah. He was, anomaly, he was anomaly. yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not a typical serial killer. People think that Ted Bundy was like the, uh, the archetype of a serial killer. He was not. He was an anomaly. The vast majority of serial murderers are psychopaths who do not care about the law. They don't care about rules of society. If they want something, as you said, they just take it. And if that means they want sex, well, then they go out and rape. If they see something that something material that they would like, they go and steal it. If they uh, find uh, opportunity for fraud, which is easier than uh, doing a regular eight to four job, they go and do fraud. And uh, of course, if they uh, feel a need to kill, they kill. So it's, it's the psychopathy personality uh, traits that kick in. And, and this is obviously the case of uh, Mr. Uh, Niauza here, who um, did robbery, rape, and of course, murder. 16 women. And he raped and killed them, as far as I can tell. Again, um, limited information available online, which is very unfortunate. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about 2002 to 2006. So the excuse of saying there's, there's, uh, there's just nothing about him is just bullshit, in my, my opinion, because now we're looking at the 2000s. It's, it's, not, it's not a matter of having to be censored or anything. The, the, this should be made public. And I know it's horrible to say that, but then at the end of the day, you're looking at details that could help solve future crimes or that public could be made aware of to look out for. So I found an article 
regarding Yauza. There was not many, but I found one. And uh, it's from his, uh, his court case. Uh, okay. So uh, they found his DNA uh, inside four of his victims. There was also uh, cell phone evidence. Niauza pointed out seven of the murder scenes to police. And um, the authorities, they linked uh, and concluded that he was the murderer of all the cases he was charged with. And he killed them using a screwdriver. Mm, Stabbed them with a screwdriver, which is... Um, I mean, of all the methods, you know, it's just, again, that's a new method. And I find that a lot of the, the... the guys we're talking about are very disorganized killers as well. They'll use whatever is at their disposal. You'll see with the next guy, for instance, which I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but it's the same kind of situation. The same was true with uh, Moses Atola, you know. He would use stockings and uh, underwear of the victims, and he would use whatever was at hand. It's the same. Uh, it's, it's not as organized as some serial killers, which if we look at the States, for instance, with uh, Dennis Rader, he was quite organized. He mm-hmm. would plan ahead, and he would he would look. He, he would watch the victims, and he would have a list of who he was going to, you know, look into. Whereas these guys are more opportunistic. They use the surrounding areas to, I guess, lure the victims into into a false sense of security and um, gain their trust. And the same is true with this guy. Uh, it's it's just interesting. Yes, indeed. And uh, I mean, BTK, one of the superstars. He uh, he called it his projects. So yeah, he, he made did. he made folders and uh, he planned it ahead, well ahead of time, and uh, he knew all the ins and outs, just like I mean in the movies. He, he was he was like a talking, walking horror movie, just in real life. Oh yeah, he but, was. He's a typical guy you don't suspect at all. You know, <laughs> you can in some ways you can you can categorize serial killers very broadly uh, into two camps. You have the organized meticulous serial killers and then you have the uh, opportunistic serial killers the organized ones are are the ones that are the rarest but they are also the scariest because they hide behind a persona of of normalcy and um, live perfectly normal lives they're not criminals in their day-to-day lives often they have families Uh, but then as a hobby they go out and kill and torture and uh, and they view it as uh, as their own special projects. But uh, this guy, moving back to um, Nyazu, uh, Nyauza, he said, he told police, and I quote, women did not deserve to live because a woman had given him AIDS. So talk about painting in broad strokes. One woman gave him AIDS, so all women needed to die. Yeah, you know, it's just scum, uh, to be honest, you know. Um, it's just a, it's a shitty reason, first of all. And uh, the, the thing, the reason you got AIDS is not because of the woman, it's because of yourself. So I think that reasoning behind it is just, again, pointing at the psychopathy of some of the guys trying to find a reasoning behind why you do what you do. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I re- I'm reading about, there's, there's a bit more detail here. And um, uh, one woman, uh, she survived. Nyauza's killing spree, and she was repeatedly stabbed with a screwdriver, then uh, strangled. Uh, She passed out, and uh, then Nyauza, he left her for dead. Uh, She she was pregnant at the time, so she lost 
her unborn baby. Uh, she partially lost her sight and she lost the use of her one hand. And to top it off, she was also, it doesn't say here, but she was probably infected with AIDS. So talk about ruining someone's life. I mean, it's just awful. As the prosecutor uh, said, and I think he said it more eloquently than I, you are an evil, perverted social murderer who poses... No, you are an evil, perverted serial murderer who poses an extreme danger to society in general and women in particular. End quote. Yeah, and you know, coming from a legal standpoint, uh, it's it's difficult for me being having to be impartial with what, what you say or what you think because at the end of the day, you were all human. But your first reaction is, what a piece of shit. And it's it's unfortunately the way that we think as people is how can one person do that to another person? Just, you know, just carry on with life as if nothing's wrong. Um, but yeah, that, that's very well put. Very, very well put. And again, we come back to what is focused on? What is What is it that the media pays attention to when it comes to these serial killers? It's not the victims. It's the serial killer. And I think that's unfortunate because luckily in this case, one woman was in fact, we, we was told of the fate of one of the unfortunate women who survived his attack. But can, there, there are so many more. 16 lost their lives. For all we know, he, he probably attacked far more that hasn't yeah. stepped forward. And uh, I mean, these are the people we should remember. Because yeah, they are. Where did they come from? What are their names? What did they do? Mm. Uh, are they what, what ethnicity? I mean, this this is stuff, and I'm not asking ethnicity because of the the interest. It's because you want to see who that we targeted and the demographs behind it and stats. Who who were these people? That's just saying 16 people, 16 murdered, and maybe it's to protect them. I don't know the identities, or but I agree with you. Uh, you never hear much from the victims. It's, it's always these guys. They turn out to be the kings, and it's just not not quite right. And a lot of them enjoy it, which is unfortunate. They like the attention. So, of course, again, I, I'm probably going to be called a hypocrite because I dedicate my show to serial killers, but, um, but I do tend to try to highlight the victims as well. Try as best as I can to bring forth the story of, uh, of those that were killed or attacked yeah. by these animals. You do, so you do very well, Thomas. I just wanted to interrupt you again. You know, that's the one thing that I find you do really well. And I've heard people compliment you on that as well. And uh, I have to say, I think I've said it to you before, is you, you do, you take the time and you actually look at what the victims go through. So yeah, kudos to you, honestly. Thank you. Very nice of you to say. So number six on the list here is Andreas McGay. Operated 2012 to 2013, killed at least three women. Uh, you have written here, pin, rape, strangle with own underwear. Oh, yeah, he pinned them down. Right, I see. Yeah. I see. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And uh, this too was Pretoria, but in Ondersteport. Uh, yeah, so Ondersteport is actually not far from where I, I used to live. Um, none, none of these places are, but Ondersteport... Uh, there's a big veterinary clinic there as well, which is one of the best in the world. It used to be. I don't know if it is anymore. 
but honest put is um, one of those places as well where it's become much more dangerous than it used to be. And he seems to have operated in that area as well. A lot of, a lot of criminal behavior. And uh, once again, you can see that it's that behavior where it's disorganized and it's just a matter of just using whatever's at your disposal. So in this case, it'd be own underwear. Just looking for uh, someone to rape and murder. And uh, yeah. yeah. Opportunistic, so, I think, is the word I was looking for. Very opportunistic. And people like him are actually the majority of serial killers. People just out in the world and they have desires that they want filled and uh, they just lash out randomly That's until it. they either kill themselves, die from natural causes, or are caught by authorities. And then we have a very interesting case here. Uh, and uh, again, it's... When it comes to South Africa, I mean, race is the elephant in the room due to the history of the place. And uh, so far on the list, I think most of these people have been uh, uh, black Africans. But here we have uh, Hart van Rooyen. Judging from his name, uh, I suspect he was uh, a, a um, of Dutch origins. Yeah, so he was an Afrikaans guy, uh, Hart, Hart van Rooyen. And um, basically with him, you actually have to read the story there, Thomas. I think it's quite an interesting story, to say the least, because he was suspected of so many more girls that he murdered, and he was a pedophile, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that was written about him. Recent, every, every now and then, there'll be an outcry to say, let's try and see if we can pin more stuff on him and you know find out a little bit more. But what uh, you can do if you want is you can actually go have a read through. There's quite a bit of information regarding him, but there's always some, there's also some mysticism as, as in he's become sort of a legend in his own right. And in, in South Africa, one of those people that is one of the South African rock stars, as you, as you say, when it comes to the serial killings and being what he is. So I would definitely recommend, you know, if you have some spare time and free time, delving into everything he's done and all of the news articles and everyone and his partner that he was doing these things with, if I recall correctly, that it could take, you could jump into a rabbit hole and you would never come out because it's one of those cases where you could just lose yourself in what's what you're reading. And it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. But at the same time, if I had to go down that rabbit hole, I probably wouldn't come back out until... And I, I don't know when. I can read the Wikipedia uh, summary uh, for our uh, dear listeners' benefit. Van Royen and his female accomplice, uh, Joy Hardhoff, are believed to be responsible for the abduction, sexual rape, and murder of several missing girls aged between 9 and 16 years old across eastern South Africa. In early 1990, when faced with arrest after the escape of their latest kidnap victim, Van Royen killed Harhoff before committing suicide. Despite later evidence against them, the two were never formally convicted due to their deaths, and the bodies of their alleged victims were never found. So it's a gruesome case, and uh, it's a killer duo, apparently, and uh, I've put it on my, uh, my topic list. Several of the names that we go through today will be covered here exclusively on the Serial Killer Podcast. Hopefully I can make yeah. a whole episode. It's the most difficult thing when doing these 
exposés is, of course, the research, because uh, I I don't make this shit up. <laughs> I yeah. have to I have to actually base it on. No, you on... do a lot of research in your stuff. I was actually saying to someone today as well. I'm I'm quite I've, I've been impressed since the start. I mean, when you delve into explanations of things, I think the the thing that I probably remember the most, <laughs> the the clearest is your explanation of. And this is going to sound very wrong, but how the electric chair in Ted Bundy's case was administered and the steps leading up to that. And uh, I can, you paint a picture where you can actually see it in your head as well. So, and a lot of us don't think about that. All the processes that go into strangulation or um, what the victims feel when they go through it and the, how gruesome it actually is when you, when you actually do the research around it. So yeah, no, you you do you do delve into a lot of research when you do your cases with Kurt van Royen. I think he would make a very very interesting, as I said, rabbit hole to jump into and to dive into and to see if you can find out a bit more. Um, there's a lot of stuff about him, I think. Yes, uh, it's a lot of links here. So uh, yes, I will probably be able to do a, a full expose on him. So that's that's good. I mean, child killers—they are the worst of the worst. And uh, people need to know that evil like this exists so we yeah. can fight it. One thing that, that struck me when I read about uh, Hart von Royen here is that immediately there's a lot more info when I Google him. Uh, there's a lot more links and there's, there are a lot more text on his Wikipedia page than the other guys that we've talked about so far. And I suspect... Again, this is controversial, but he was white. The other guys were black. It strikes me as maybe that's played into it, that as soon as there's a white guy in, in South Africa being a serial killer, more media exposure than these black guys, that it's, on, it's impossible to, to find more than their name and how many they killed. But uh, yes, you know, we have the list here. We are at number seven. There are 27 uh, cases on the list. So you know what, Mr. Dolby? Mm. I hadn't planned on doing this, but uh, this has been such an interesting talk. And I think we have material for a part two. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And so it is that we come to the end of the saga of part one of this conversation regarding serial murder in South Africa. Next episode will include the second and final part of this dialogue. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. Finally, I wish to thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you like this podcast, you can support it by donating on patreon.com slash the Serial Killer Podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, facebook.com slash the SK Podcast, or by posting on the subreddit the SK Podcast. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. Good luck.